You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. This morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 21. And the portion that we're going to be looking at in Proverbs chapter 21 is brief. It's not very long, but it has some very useful, very applicable things for our walk with Christ. And I hope you'll find uh, great encouragement in the portion we're looking at today because the scripture we're looking at today talks a lot about the heart. And you're going to see that as a theme as we work our way through this portion of scripture. We're talking about hearts and we're going to be talking about the fact that God can turn even the hardest of hearts. And we see that demonstrated here in this portion of Scripture. So look with me, if you would, Proverbs chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump all the way to verse 13. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says this, "'The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart.'" To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And then jumping to verse 13, it says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to spend some time together today looking at your word and thinking about what you've revealed to us in it. And Lord, as we see the various things that this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today speaks about the heart, the things that are revealed to us here about how you work in the heart and how you examine the heart, we pray that we would understand more and more about the work that you're seeking to do within us. And we're grateful to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together now. We pray that you'd speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. This is going to sound like a strange concept or question, uh, and it's maybe even going to sound like the setup to a joke, but it's not the setup to a joke. But my question for us is this, what do biscotti and power steering have in common? (laughs) I promise it's not a joke, but I got mad. I got mad. I saw Matt chuckled at that. What do biscotti and power steering have in common? That has to be the setup to a joke, right? Well, I promise that it's not. So last week, we received a package at our house, and it was sent from Italy. One of my wife's friends recently just moved to Italy, and she decided to send some nice things back to some of her friends here in the States. And so she sent this this box, and it was filled with all sorts of good things. It was filled with all sorts of just enjoyable things to eat, and uh, it was really, you know, kind of fun to receive. It had Italian chocolates in it, and so we were enjoying some of those. And uh, it had uh, this tasty dessert spread, kind of like Nutella, you know, something in that line. That's closest I can think to compare it to, although it wasn't exactly the same. And so we were enjoying some of that. And then it had a whole bunch of things that my wife was supposed to share with her coworkers. And since she's a woman of integrity, she actually did bring those things into work and share those with her coworkers, although it would have been very tempting for us to just eat those things at home. But she brought them to work, shared it. And then there was one other thing in the bag for us, and it was actually a bag of biscotti. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what biscotti is or not. 
not. Uh, but if you don't know what it is, it's basically like a, a really hard dessert bread that you're supposed to dip into your coffee or your tea, and it's delicious, and it's very good. And so we had this Italian biscotti that was sent to us, and my wife and I were enjoying it. And, and, um, and as I looked at these goodies here, you know, I'm looking at these, and I'm trying the different things, um, and I, I saw, and Andrea opened the, the, the bag of biscotti first. I hadn't even touched it yet. Um, I saw her enjoying that, and I decided, I thought, you know what, she looks very happy right now. And I also want to be happy like she is, so I'm going to enjoy some of that. So I took a piece of it, and I started putting it up to my mouth, and she yelled out, Stop! Wait! <clears throat> and, I, and I said, Okay, what? And she said, You're supposed to dip that into something first before you eat it. You're going you're gonna to break your teeth. And, and I said, Okay, now, I've had biscotti before, all right? I'm not a connoisseur of biscotti, but I have had it before. But I thought... All right, if I was here by myself, I would just munch on it and see what happened to my teeth and deal with life from that point on and just never eat corn on the cob again. That's what I would have done, right? But since she was there, I decided, okay, I will, I will honor my wife's request. I will dip it in my drink, and then I will eat it. And obviously, it certainly made it softer and easier to chew, and it was delicious either way. So now, with that in mind, let me ask a related question that maybe not, won't seem immediately related. But have you ever had... An instance where you've been driving your car, and it's stalled. And so you still have it in gear, and it's stalled, and you're trying to steer it, but because it's stalled, the power has gone out to the steering. I actually had this happen to me this past summer. Something happened to my car. A sensor went that caused the car to stall, and I'm trying to steer the car without the benefit of the power steering. And what happens when that happens? You can't move it, right? It's, I mean, you could do it, but it's pretty hard to, to do it. Cars have not been designed in this present era to be driven without the assistance of power steering. But when the power is fired up, when the car is running properly, the wheel moves with ease. So now, here's the correlation between the two. Biscotti needs coffee to make it soft and chewable. A car needs power in order to be able to steer properly. If our hearts are missing something critical, we will also be hard and unmovable. Our hearts need the presence of Christ. And I'm grateful when we look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Proverbs chapter 21, it shows us that the Lord can steer, the Lord can turn, and the Lord can soften even the hardest of hearts. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, let's look right where it starts, with verse 1. Because it's going to show us a series of things related to the human heart. And one of the things that it shows us right away, the first thing that it shows us, when you look at verse 1, it shows us that God can turn the heart of kings. Now, why does the Scripture start off that way? With talking about the fact that God can turn the hearts of kings. Well, typically, in most cultural contexts, you tend to think of the king or the supreme leader. Of, of whatever kind or stripe that you would call that, that, that individual, you tend to think of that person as being particularly powerful. And so the Scripture talks about the fact, as it's opening up, as it's going to bring us through this series of what the Lord can do in the human heart, it shows us, first of all, that God can turn the heart of kings. Look at what it says in Proverbs 21.1. Let me reread that for us. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I want us to think about that statement for just a second. Now, without a doubt, our lives are directly impacted by the decisions of those who serve 
in leadership. Your life is impacted by the leaders that are over you. My life is impacted by the leaders that are over me. And I'll even say this, even with all its imperfections, I am truly grateful to live in the country that we live in. Extremely grateful. I consider it a blessing. But I've been around long enough to know that my life and the life of my family members will be impacted by those who occupy elected office. It will be impacted. But I also know something else. And I think this is the perfect time to express this fact. There is no earthly leader who is worthy of being the recipient of my greatest hopes. They all struggle, they all get some things right, and they all get some things wrong. And while I'm the type of citizen who votes in every election, I don't skip them. I'm also the type of Christian who reminds himself regularly that my greatest hope can never be found in a mere human leader. My greatest hope is in the benevolent and perfect leadership of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And with that said, I also want to be a very productive member of our culture. I want to be a productive member of society who stays well uh, invested in the well-being of our nation. So what's one of the most productive things that we could be doing regardless of whoever is president or governor or senator or mayor or whatever elected office you want to list? Scripture teaches us something very specific that I hope we'll notice right now in this particular time as we look at a verse that talks about how the Lord can steer the heart of a king. Scripture teaches us that it will make a direct impact on our nation on our families, and on our individual lives if we make a concerted effort to remember our leaders in prayer. And sometimes that's easier to do than others. We should pray for the leaders we like. That's when it's easy. We should also pray for the leaders we dislike. That's when it's challenging. Because they will have an impact on our day-to-day lives. And God can give them wisdom, and he can give them discernment, And he can steer their hearts in directions that sometimes might surprise us. I love what we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me show you this real quick. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it makes this statement. Please notice it. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. So think about the things that the Apostle Paul was challenging Timothy to be well aware of. These are things that we as believers living in the present age should be aware of as well. We are called to lift up our leaders in prayer and ask the Lord to accomplish his will through them, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, the scripture says, godly and dignified in every way. And I remember thinking about this concept quite a bit when I was in college, because this is what happened when I was in college. I was planning to be a history teacher. I have great interest in history. I love, I love it, particularly presidential history. And I remember being all excited when I was in college because that was the first time I was ever able to vote in a presidential election. And I thought, all right, here's the deal. Like, I actually get to participate in this. And so I was all excited. And then here's what happened. The person I voted for didn't win. So I was kind of disappointed. And I remember wrestling with that for a while. I was like, all right, the person I voted for didn't win. And I was bothered by it. 
And then one Sunday in our church, our pastor was preaching from Proverbs chapter 21. And I was relieved by what it stated, by what we just read here. We're told in the first verse of this chapter that the Lord can turn the heart of a king in whatever direction he chooses, meaning that the Lord is over any earthly ruler. And history is filled with examples of the Lord doing just that. So let me even say this, and by the way, this is the most political I will ever get from the pulpit, right? You ready for this? Is it, you're, in your mind, you're like, how political is he going to get? So bad. It's going to be so bad. Might even want to turn off the live stream. This is the most political I'm ever going to get from the pulpit. I don't know how you feel about who is presently in leadership on a national level or a state level or a local level. I don't know your opinions on all those things. Some of you I do, but most I don't. Um, I also don't know everyone's opinions on what you think about those that are about to assume those offices. But what I do know is this. The advice Scripture gives us, as we look at Proverbs 21 and 1 Timothy 2, the advice we're given is the exact same no matter who occupies those positions. It's the exact same no matter who's in those spots. We're called to pray for them. We're called to entrust them over to the Lord and to ask the Lord to direct the decisions that they make while trusting Jesus to be our ultimate leader, our ultimate Lord. Our hearts and our nation will be better off if we take that kind of counsel that we're given here in this portion of Scripture, always remembering that God can turn the hearts of kings. And history is filled with examples of him doing just that. And as we work our way through Proverbs 21 here, you'll see this progression of how the Lord works in a person's heart and some other examples that were given in this passage. Because beyond that, the Scripture reveals to us that God can also see the hidden motives of our hearts. Look at what it tells us in verse 2. It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs its, but the Lord weighs the heart. Have you ever met somebody, and you, it's the first time you're meeting them, it's just, you know, first interaction that you've had with them, and you discover later on that in your first interaction with them, you made several incorrect assumptions about them? Doesn't that happen a lot? When you first meet somebody, you can make incorrect assumptions about them. I think we've all done that probably more times than we can count. I certainly have, because when we meet people, we tend to make judgments based on external factors. I'm making judgments based on external factors. I'm making judgments based on what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. So those are external factors, and I know that you do the same exact thing. We all do that in one respect or another. And based on our ability to know what we're thinking thinking and what our motives may be, we have the capacity to assess our own motives with a little more clarity, but how often do we take advantage of actually doing that? We actually can assess our own motives, but do we do that very frequently? Are we actually honest with ourselves about what motivates our actions? Sometimes I actually wonder if we, as people who are directly impacted by the presence of sin, actually have the capacity to do anything truly pure with our motives or from a truly pure spot uh, motivationally. But here, when you look at this portion of Scripture, it tells us that the Lord knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows that by nature, our hearts are desperately wicked. And he also knows that through him, 
We're not left in that spot. We're given a brand new heart. I love what Scripture tells us in the often forgotten book of Ezekiel. Even though it's a longer book, it's not a book that I hear referenced quite frequently. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Lord speaks these words through Ezekiel, and he says this, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to remove that heart of stone. I'm going to put something soft in there. I'll give you a new heart. That's what the Lord revealed through Ezekiel. And Scripture reveals to us that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are given a new heart. The old heart that you were born with is replaced with the new heart. Our old heart was self-focused. Our old heart was selfish. It was bent on destruction. It was focused on itself to the detriment of others. But our new heart is sensitive to the Lord's leading. Our new heart is focused on giving Him glory. And the Lord invites us to live with that new heart, with that new perspective. The Lord sees beyond the ways that we present ourselves to one another. And He looks deep into our hearts to actually see what's going on. Is His Spirit present? Or are we still consumed with the cravings of our old nature? And so Solomon, he invites us here to to be introspective because... The scripture starts off by talking about kings and what's going on in their hearts. And it's very easy, at least for me personally, to look at the life of other people and, and to look at that and to pick apart somebody else's issues without actually taking an examination of my own heart. And so I appreciate the progression here in the scripture where it says, all right, kings, their hearts can be shaped and molded and steered by the Lord. But then it invites us to wrestle with our own heart. It's like, Lord, do I actually want you to do that in my heart? Or do I just want you to do that for kings and those in leadership? Am I actually willing to be transparent with you about my own motives? You can see my hidden motives. You can see what's going on in my mind. You can see what's going on in my heart. Do I want to lay that open before you and allow you to steer that as well? And so you have Solomon kind of taking us on this progression. And then he goes from there to show us something else that I think is very interesting. Because when you look at verse 3, he also reveals that he that the Lord knows if our hearts are motivated to obey him. Look at what it says in verse 3. Let me reread it. It says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Let me read it again. It says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God knows if our hearts are motivated to obey him. The other evening, I was just sitting in my home office, and I don't know if anyone else has done this. Uh, anyone here involved in real estate? Few people, right? Few people? All right, so people on either side of the room. All right, real estate agents. I think you're going to see a trend that you've probably already seen, but you're probably going to see it more. I think new construction is going to have home offices as, I think a home office is basically going to become part of new construction models. And during the, the, the past few months, uh, what I did was I converted part of our basement into office space for my wife and office space for me. And we used that space a lot. And I was sitting in my, my office the other day, and I have some shelves up in there. And on one of the shelves, I have a picture from 30 years ago. It's from the summer of 1991. It's a significant picture for me. And it, by the way, it blows my mind to think that 1991 is now 30 years ago. I'm still scratching my head about that one. When that dawned on me recently, I was uncomfortable with that realization. 
But 30 years ago, 1991, I got hired to work at a summer camp, and my daughter came down, my daughter Hannah came down to my office the other night, and she and I were just enjoying a nice conversation together. And uh, we started talking about some things, and I pulled that picture off the shelf, and I kind of pointed something out to her, and I said, you know, as we were looking at that picture, and we were thinking about it, and there I am with a whole bunch of people that I was working with that summer, I made the comment to her that that was the summer that I learned what it meant to actually love the Lord enough to obey Him. I said, that's the summer where I actually learned what it meant to love the Lord enough to obey Him. I would have told you prior to that summer that I loved the Lord, but if you, had to, if you asked the follow-up question, well, do you love Him enough to obey Him? You would have found glaring deficiencies in my beliefs and in my practices. And I told her, I was like, that's the turning point summer in my life. That was the moment where things changed for me where I learned what it meant to actually love him enough to obey him. And I bring that up because when you look at what's mentioned here in Proverbs 21.3, you have Solomon revealing something about the human heart. Many people are under the false impression that they can just perform some sort of act of sacrifice or act of service to try and curry God's favor, and that somehow that will make up for a lifetime of ignoring the voice of God. What do you think? Does it work that way? You just like make an act of sacrifice or service, and then that somehow makes up for a lifetime of ignoring the voice of God. Obviously, that doesn't work because Jesus already made the only sacrifice that was ultimately that was ultimately acceptable to the Father. Jesus already made that sacrifice for us, and so when we convince ourselves that we can make some kind of sacrifice to the Lord that will make up for a lifetime of ignoring His voice. All we're doing is proving that two primary things are true. One, we have very bad theology. And two, that we're still trying to be our own Savior instead of trusting the Savior who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And neither of those options are things that that should be true of us. You know, we should actually trust the Lord who gave himself as a sacrifice for us. We should love him enough to listen to his voice, love him enough to obey him. Are you familiar with um, a singer named Keith Green? Is anyone familiar with that name? Some are, okay. There were some in the early service that were were, um, familiar with him as well. Uh, Let me bring him up on the screen. That's Keith Green. I don't don't know, for those of you that aren't familiar with him, you'll definitely want to find out about him. But he was actually, um, he was a, a Christian singer he passed away in 1982. He actually died in a car cra- uh, a plane crash, and um, he was only 28 years old when he died in that plane crash. But prior to his death, he was one of the most prominent and, and popular Christian musicians of the time. So in the early 80s, very prominent, very popular. He wrote some very popular songs that have become songs that we've been singing for you know four decades now quite regularly as, as churches gather. And uh, I was trying to figure out how many albums he sold. And so I looked online, and he had a very short career. I was trying to figure out how many albums did he sell during that time as he was just kind of serving a, a niche market. But I found out that he sold somewhere around one million copies. But they have a very hard time figuring out how many copies he actually sold because he had such a habit of giving his music away. He would just give it away. It probably drove his record company crazy because he was just giving these things away. So they say our estimate is about a million copies sold, but it's, we, it's not a pure estimate because he gave so many copies away. But one of the things that I love about his music, in addition to the fact that it's very catchy and enjoyable, and it certainly reflects that time period in music, 
His songs are some of the most helpful songs from a spiritual nature that I've ever found because they are lovingly confrontational. You know what I mean by lovingly confrontational? Do you have anyone in your life that can tell you very confrontational things but do it in such a loving way that you're like, oh, that's offensive to the core, but I accept that from you because, <laughs> because you are such a nice person. Okay, I will accept your offense and think about it, you know? He had a knack for doing that. I mean, if you ever look at his lyrics, and he would sing it in such a pleasant tone, he would just, he wouldn't take like on a, like a, on like a really forceful, like gravelly sound. It would just like pleasant music that he would sing along. But then when you look at the lyrics, you're like, wait a second. That is amazingly confrontational in that moment. And he had a song that was one of my favorite songs by his. It was called To Obey Is Better Than Sacrifice. You ever hear that song? Anyone that's familiar with them, to obey is better than sacrifice? A couple people have heard it. Let me quote the lyrics to you. I won't sing it, but, it, but he said this. He says, uh, and by the way, he's saying this from the perspective of Jesus. So this is the, the poetic license he takes here with the song is Jesus speaking these words to the church. And he says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And I hear you say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I'll never return. Like, okay, where's he going with this, right? And it's funny, you got to listen to the song because it's so flowing and he sings it so pleasantly. And then he goes on, he says this, he says, Well, you speak of grace and my love so sweet, how you thrive on milk, but reject the meat. And I can't help weeping of how it will be if you keep on ignoring my words. And he says, will you pray to prosper and succeed, but your flesh is something I just can't feed. And I love that song, but there's even more. He goes on to say this. He goes, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. Because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. And when I listen to that, I'm like, he sings it. And you know what comes after he says that don't bother coming at all part? It's filled with la, 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 la. It's like all these la's. And I'm like, what made you think to put like la, la, la? Like you're just like skipping around at that point. It's like, then don't bother coming at all. La, la, la. la. And you're like, it's like I feel very convicted and awkward, but you're just singing like you're walking through a field of flowers right now and just thrilled. Then there's more. He says this, To obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not your prayers of ice. And I'm coming quickly to give back to you according to what you have done. That is lovingly confrontational. And I'll tell you what, when Keith Green would write those songs, you know, some people loved it. I mean, you know, he sold a million copies or... Uh, you know, however many he ultimately ended up selling. Some people loved it, and some people absolutely hated it. When he would write these songs, some people absolutely hated it because they did not like that direct approach that he would take. But wasn't he saying the same exact thing that Solomon said in Proverbs 21.3? It's the same thing. He was saying the same exact thing. Keith Green is saying to obey is better than sacrifice. And when you look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 21.3, he shows that God knows if our hearts are motivated to obey him. It says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's what the scripture is telling us. 
Do we love Jesus enough to actually listen to what he says? Or do we just like to keep him at a distance because our voice is louder? And there's one other thing that Solomon brings up about the heart that I want to highlight from Proverbs chapter 21, and it brings us all the way down to verse 13. But I don't want to skip it because there's a progression of heart issues that are worth wrestling with if we want to grow mature in our faith. And I truly hope that each of us gathered here in person want to grow mature in our faith. Those of you joining us on the live stream, I hope that's the case. Those of you accessing this via the podcast, I hope that's the case for you as well. And when you look at verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 21, there it shows us this, that God wants us to have a heart for the person in need. Let me explain this. Well, let me read the verse first of all. But it says this in Proverbs 21, 13. It says, whoever, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So again, one last thing that, that we can point out from this proverb when we're talking about the heart we see here in this verse. We're shown up in this passage that the Lord wants us to listen to the cry of the poor. And basically, we're told here that that if we expect him to listen to our pleas for mercy, if we expect him to listen to our pleas for help, we can't be ignorant to the pleas of those asking us for the same kind of help, especially when it's in our power to do something about it. And I have to admit to you, this is something that the Lord has been speaking to me a lot about lately, in recent years in particular. And actually, I I think I have to rephrase that because I think he's probably been speaking to me about this for a long time, and maybe I'm just noticing in the past few years. He's probably been saying it to me all along the way. It's something that I'm starting to care about more than I used to care about. And I don't know why it took as long as it did for it to grab my attention. One of my theories is that maybe just because when you're in the midst of your own struggle, sometimes you don't really notice the struggle of others quite as clearly. And then if things settle down for you a little bit, then you're able to sometimes perceive things that you weren't noticing at an earlier season of life. But I'll give you an example of how this has been working out in my day-to-day life. I don't remember if I've already shared this with you or not. So if I've already told you this story, please forgive me. I've only lived one life, so I've only got a set limit of stories. And um, sometimes I think, have I told them that already? So you may have already heard this. So if you did, finish it for me, all right? Um, But I'll tell you what, it had an impact on me. About a year ago, I was in a grocery store. It was actually uh, Dollar General right down here in the Pine Watson Center. And I was only in there to buy a couple things. Whenever I go in that store, I don't really go in there to buy a whole bunch of stuff. It's usually because I I need to go in there to buy something really quick and and then get out. And usually, if I'm really honest, it's Hershey's with almonds. You know, they always have it, so I always get it. Um, But I was only buying a couple things that particular day. It was an evening. It was actually a few minutes before the store closed. So I didn't grab a cart. I didn't grab anything like that because I just wanted something I could, you know, it was just small. And when I walked up to the register, they only had one register open, so I had to wait. And in line in front of me, there was a woman who had a cart very full. And it was more full than you would ever expect somebody at a store like Dollar General to have a cart that's full. It's not really a full cart type of store, but it looked like she was doing her primary grocery shopping there. And when the cashier finished scanning all her items... He told her that her total was going to be somewhere around $115, if I remember right. And again, that's a lot to spend in that store. And she scanned her card to pay. And she commented something to the effect of that the card sometimes gives her problems, but she thought she had enough on it to cover uh, what she had just had him scan, what she was just attempting to purchase. But the the card wasn't reading or something. 
And so he asked her to scan it again a different way. And so she scanned it again a different way. And still nothing. And I can see on her face, her face was getting all red. She was starting to feel a little bit embarrassed. And I was feeling bad, too, because I thought, oh, she probably feels real embarrassed right now. And that's as far as my mind was really thinking about it in the moment. She scans it again, and she keeps trying, and then she's, like, wiping it on her jeans and then tries to scan it again, and then finally it becomes clear, this card is not going to work. Either there's not enough money on it or there's something wrong with it. I couldn't fully figure out what was going on there. But it was a very awkward situation, and then finally, and it was, like, just a few minutes before the store closed, she just looked at him and she said, I guess this isn't going to work. Do you, do you want me to just go back through and put all this stuff back? And he sighed, and he looked at her, and he said, no, I'll put them back. And then she walked out of the store awkwardly, and that was that. And I, in my mind, my initial thought was, oh, I hope she doesn't feel too embarrassed. That sort of stuff happens to all of us. Like, that, don't feel too embarrassed. That's what my initial thought was. And then after I paid for my items and I'm walking out to my car, I, a flood of conviction came over me. And I don't know why I didn't think about this while I was in the store and this was all taking place, but as I was walking to my car and I, I starting to think to myself about what I had just seen, I, I, I thought, wait, I should have just paid for her groceries. I should have just paid for those groceries. Why didn't I pay for those groceries? I didn't think about it in the moment, but at this season, it, it, that wouldn't make a measurable impact one way or another if I just paid for that. I thought, I should have just paid for that. And I felt bad that it didn't dawn on me in the moment. Some people are really good at compassion and mercy. I always try and hang out with people like that because they would notice that right in the moment. And I'm one of those people that notices it five minutes too late when he's walking back to his car. And I'm like, why didn't I think about it in the moment? I wish I thought about it in the moment, but I didn't. And so what I ended up doing, I actually, it bothered me so much. I, I, when I went home that evening, I, I mentioned it to Andrea, and I said, can I tell you what happened? And I said, this is what I'm, I've kind of decided in my heart that I'm going to do if I'm in a spot like that again. So next time I'm in a spot like that, I'm just going to buy the groceries. I'm just going to buy the groceries. And she very much affirmed that idea, too. And I, I, but I felt bad that I didn't think about it in the moment. Fast forward a year. We had a, a, a time, I only saw, I've seen this woman twice. Um, we had a a different woman, you know, I've seen her twice show up here to the church and, um, she's not here today and none of you would know who she is or anything like that. I've only ever seen her twice. Uh, but she showed up at the church one day hungry and she asked me for groceries and that came to my mind. And so thankfully on round two, I said, yes. And then I thought, well, let's like find out what she likes, not just, get, I was like, what do you like? I was like, could you write me out a list of the stuff you actually like? And she wrote out the list, and I looked at it, I was like, no, I hate all these things, and I gave her, no, I didn't do that. Was, I uh, looked at it, I was like, okay. And with my wife's help, we went and we got those things, and, and I, I said, when will you be back here? She said, I could be back here sometime tomorrow. I said, okay. Well, I, I said, where do you want, what do you want me to do? She said, it'll probably be late. Just leave the bag on the porch, and I'll make sure to get it when I walk through the area again. I was like, okay. And I, I thought to myself, all right, if someone asks me that and I have the capacity to do it, I guess if I don't have the capacity to do it, I won't do it, but if I have the capacity to do it, I'm buying the groceries because I didn't feel right about not doing it when I could have initially. I wish I would have thought that. And I bring that up as a personal confession to you and, and just kind of things that I wrestle through in my own mind because I want to finish up by mentioning this, and it's, and it's, I think, the most important thing I'll say today. When Jesus came for us, 
He didn't come for people who were already spiritually well off. We were not spiritually well off. We were spiritually bankrupt. We were spiritual debtors. And he came to this earth and he paid the debt of our sin by shedding his own blood. And when we receive that gift, that needed gift by faith, what happens within us is that our our formerly hard heart, it's turned, it's softened, and we're granted a rich inheritance in his kingdom that that can't be taken away. He promises us that that's something that he holds in store for us. And now for his glory, he invites us to bless our neighbors, meaning anyone alive at the same time as us, He invites us to bless our neighbors in the same way that he's graciously chosen to bless us. As recipients of his compassion, who are genuinely thankful for what he's done for us spiritually, we have the opportunity to demonstrate that in the compassion that we show other people as we reflect the heart of Christ to them. So I don't know where your heart is right now, but the Lord does. The Lord knows where my heart is. The Lord knows where your heart is. And let me just say this as we finish today. Let me encourage you to give your heart completely over to him. Let me encourage you to give your life completely over to him. Don't hold even one small part back. Give everything over to him. Give your heart over to him because ultimately, he's the only one who truly knows what to do with it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today and to think about these things that you you talk about as you you turn a heart, as you transform a heart, as you change a heart. You can do this for kings. You do this for us. You can teach us to value what you value and see things the way you see things. Lord, it's it's all wonderful, and we're just grateful for what you do in us. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace. And as you create opportunities for us to demonstrate that to others, we pray that we would seize those opportunities. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn to love you enough to obey your voice, that there wouldn't be any exceptions. If we still find exceptions in our life, Lord, we pray that we would come to that spot, that turning point where we say, all right, I'm drawing a line right now. And the line is when I used to ignore the voice of God versus listening to your voice now. And so, Lord, we pray that we would love you enough to obey you, that we would love you enough to listen to your counsel, that we'd love you enough to listen to what your word proclaims and what your spirit prompts our heart to value, and that that would have a direct impact on our prayer life as we pray for those that that we care about, those who lead us, those that are in our day-to-day lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who who ultimately rejoice over the fact that you looked at us in our spiritually bankrupt state as spiritual debtors, and you paid the debt we did not have the capacity to pay. You swiped the card. We were bankrupt. We had no means of our own. We did not have righteousness that we could offer you, and so you gave us the gift of your righteousness. And you invite us into your family as we trust in you. You invite us in, and you give us a great and glorious inheritance in your kingdom. So, Lord, we just thank you for these things today. We thank you for the privilege to be able to look at these things from your word. 
And we thank you for the transformation that you're accomplishing in our lives. We pray that you'd be honored and glorified as we seek to use the life that you've blessed us with. We pray that it would all be for your honor and that we would reflect your heart in every context you place us in. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.